Swain, and you're listening to the Reimagining Communications podcast, where we discuss the opportunities and challenges facing companies on the road to optimizing their communications for the future. Today, I'm joined by Garen Torin, CEO and founder of Ping, a message service that automatically reads incoming communications out loud, allowing you to drive, work, and play safely and productively. Garen, thank you for joining me today. Thank you for having me, Matt. So, Garen, you've always been quite entrepreneurial. Tell me a little bit about the experiences you've had over your career and what led you to this latest venture. Yeah, Matt, you know, I was lucky enough to be involved right in the beginning of the internet in South Africa when it was just starting. In fact, I had the first email newsletter in South Africa out to a couple of thousand people. This is back in the uh, 90s. And I have been involved in the internet all along. In fact, I've done nothing else. And uh, that eventually brought me to New York in 2004, where I I brought a business called uh, Striata here, which was in the electronic document delivery space. And it's been a fantastic ride ever since. And we first met when I was an analyst covering Striata. I'd love to hear your thoughts. I know it's been five or six years since you divested from the organization, but are you encouraged by the increases in, in push delivery of, of bill statements and other communications in recent years, or are you more frustrated that it hasn't gained traction more quickly? You know, when I arrived here in 2004, so going back a good 15 years now, there was no push mm-hmm. communication at all here in the United States. And it to this day, I can't understand why it hasn't just exploded because, you know, the way it's done in America is that you go to a website you log in, and then your communication is done on the website, which, which means that anything that you get, it's an email notification mm-hmm. telling me to go back to a website. And username and passwords have always been incredibly frustrating. I feel personally that they get more frustrating every single year, especially with these two or three major data breaches that have happened. People right. are scrambling now to to change passwords, come up with new passwords, password managers, whereas the majority of communication that a bank or a credit card company or a utility or a telco, the majority of it is simply something that the user wants to receive. They don't yeah. want to have to go and fetch it. It's a frustrating experience. It's not mobile friendly. And to this day, I can only get my utility bill delivered to me. I can't get my American Express card. I can't get any of my banks, literally nothing. So while push communication has been growing dramatically globally here in the USA, um, it's still very much in its infancy 15 years later. At the time, we were talking a lot about the marketer's desire to get the eyeballs back to the web page as part of the reason that someone wouldn't push. Another reason, certainly from a security perspective, what if it gets into somebody else's hands? Do you feel like those are some of the same restrictions today? Yes, you know, that's been the conversation for 15 years. And I want to just just contrast this with the fact that when you get a credit card statement delivered to your email as an encrypted PDF attachment. Mm-hmm. First of all, if anybody wanted to get access to to that document, they would first of all have to hack your email account. Right. Right? I mean, if somebody's hacked your email account, you're in deep, deep trouble regardless. Then they would need to know the secret to open that encrypted PDF. Let's just say it's last four digits of my social security number. It's the CVV number from the front of my Amex card. You know, and if somebody has access to your inbox and that information 
about you. You're way past a security right. concern. You've been hacked and, right. and you're in trouble and you'd better have LifeLock. Yep. Now, I wonder about the role of uh, a push notification today. So, for instance, I'm tracking my Apple Card journey. Mm-hmm. So I became an Apple Card cardholder, looking at what, what's working, what's not. And they're not sending many emails. Most of those communications are coming through as a push. Yeah. And it's still a statement-ready notification. Yep. Your statement's ready. You can go here to view it. Correct. But I think because, because of how it's done... I can just launch the app. I'm already in because I've I've opened the device and now I can see my statement. So it's taken away the the need to remember a user ID and password. And I wonder if that maybe makes it less difficult to for the consumer and so therefore makes the push delivery less valuable. You know, I think there there's two kinds of 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 service out there. There's the one that is tied to your mobile device mm-hmm. and if you've got a fingerprint or a face id set up then then that can and should eliminate the username and password yeah right but one could one could argue that you can use that that exact same mechanism to unlock an encrypted pdf attachment you know think yeah. about the process of receiving an email opening an attachment right it's one click and now i've got what I want. Plus, it's in my inbox. So when I get back to my desktop, I can simply save the attachment, okay, to my Amex folder. Yeah. For example. Yeah. If I've if I get a, a notification and I click on it and let's just say I use Face ID and now I'm looking at a statement on a website. Chances are I've done three or four clicks, right? Yeah. Now I'm looking at a statement on a website. Okay, that's great. Now maybe I can download it to my phone. Now it's on my phone. Right. Now how do I get it from my phone to my folder on, on, on my desktop? Well, I can't really. I've got to, then when I get back to my computer, now I've got to log into a website. Now I've got to download it to my local computer. I've maybe done 15 or 20 clicks yep. to get to the same result of having a PDF of my, of my statement that if my credit card company had just sent it to me, well, now I've got it. Yeah. You're talking about the amount of, effort that the that the customer has to go through to get what they want and this is why arguably north of 80 percent of customers whether it be credit card utility telco are still getting a paper statement simply because the resistance to replacing something i have to do nothing my paper statement arrives right i might scan it okay but to go and fetch it from a website well this is something that five percent ten percent 20% 20% of users will go through the effort of going through turning the paper statement off and going and, and fetching it. And so un, until the electronic world becomes as easy as do nothing, yep. sit on my couch, United States P- Postal Service delivers statement. Sit on my couch, my statement arrives in my inbox. Yeah, That's probably equal amount of doing nothing. <laughs> right. Get an email or a push notification, go to a website, either sign in with the username and password, look for the statement yep. section in the mobile app, which may or may not be good, find the statement, download it. I mean, many times I'm actually emailing myself the statement that I've downloaded. Right. So it's in my email. The resistance is really high still. And there are so many companies that are try- that keep talking about how important their 
paperless initiatives are, and that's even in a strong economy, Correct. right? That that is still so important to be reducing costs and moving to paperless. But oftentimes they're trying to employ the same methods that they've used for the last 5, 10, 15 years mm. to get there. And, and we have to try to do that reality check with them that you've got to change your approach in some way. Mm. Either it's a carrot or a stick, but something has to change. Yes, absolutely. Because, you know, with security becoming worse, not easier. You know, now, I mean, username and password was 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 bad enough. Now layer two-factor authentication on top of that. Yep. Now you've just got a really poor customer experience. I mean, every time I go into my PayPal account, it has to text me a six-digit code that I've got to then copy. And right. I mean, this is just a terrible experience. Yeah. I mean, I, we understand from a security point of view why the they do it, but it's not getting better. It's getting worse. Yeah. So, so you know, the amount of customers that have turned paper off, those are the people that are inclined to do so. I think we're going to see a decelerating amount of customers going going that that route as it becomes less convenient to get things online. More security layers, more more security layers. I mean, when I arrived here in two thousand and four. Text messages were going to kill email. Then, you know, social media was going to kill email. Yeah. Then Slack was going to kill email. Everything was going to kill email. Yet, in 2020, I find 90% of what I do in my business career is email. Yeah. So email's not going anywhere. In fact, email's cleaned up its act a lot. You know, the likes of Gmail and so on. The spam, the spam filtering has become really good. The ability to flag things as spam. Email's become clean as a whistle now. It's a great point. So I, I cut you off on your, your journey here because I, I jumped on the striata comment. But t- talk to me about your divestiture from striata and how that led you to your desire to launch Ping. Yeah, so I sold most of my equity in striata in 2014. I just felt like I wanted to get onto you know, something more. It had been more than a decade of pushing paperless and electronic document delivery. And so I took about a year off. And during that time, I encountered a personal problem. And that problem was the fact that I could simply not get behind the wheel for more than five minutes without checking my phone. And I've got two young kids and my wife was angry. And I just realized that there was this huge, this need that I had. You know, I was investing money. There was just so much going on in my life. And every time I, I drove in the car... You know, I've got a house out east. I drove for an hour, hour and a half to two hours. It was just an impossible scenario. And actually, Ping was born because I discovered that everybody has this problem. And the only things that were being done about it were sign the pledge, it yeah. can wait, put your phone away. And I mean, you know, this is a technology problem that is not going to be solved by signing a pledge. Right. No one's going to pull over to a text stop, you know, it's just not going to happen. So yeah. the organizations that are pr- are promoting these abstinence things are, are fighting human nature, you know. And if you fight human nature, you're gonna lose every single time. And we've seen it. We we've seen the accelerating, distracted driving, mm-hmm. deaths and crashes. They estimate that an underreported twenty five percent of road fatalities are caused directly by smartphone usage. Insurance rates are going up. We've just got this pandemic, and the yeah. pandemic is attempting to be solved by sign the pledge. Yeah, it can wait. Put your phone into a, a 
a cover that blocks its signal. I mean, you know, if you were gonna, if you were, if you wanted your phone to be off, that's what, that's why you have an off button. And right. that's why it's got airplane mode. You know, you know, if you wanted your phone to be off, there's lots of ways to put it off. You don't need to, technology to turn your phone off. What the driver wants is they want their messages and their email and they want them while they're driving. Yeah. And so anything else that doesn't give them that, people are going to go around. We've all seen the UPS driver, okay, with his personal phone on his lap, the Uber driver, the, the Lyft driver. The, I mean, it's just, it's unbelievable. Everybody is looking at their phones all day, crashes are getting worse. And now we have an aging population of smartphone users that are entering their, their 60s now. Yeah. So, you know, it's not the, the teenagers. The teenagers have been scared into not using their phones. So I believe that it is a, it is a primary workforce issue. It is, it is economically viable people between the ages of 30 and 60. These are the culprits, and we've all seen them. You just got to drive down the, four, the 495, and every third person is either holding their phone in their hand or doing this nodding motion yeah. between the road and the phone in their lap. And, and it's simply because they cannot control themselves. You know, everybody checks their phone hundreds of times a day. It's not realistic to think that I can now get into a car and I can now turn the switch in my mind off and say, well, you cannot check your phone for the next half an hour or 45 minutes. If you're at a red light or you're at a, you're at a stop sign, it's illegal to look at your phone in most states. Mm-hmm. And people think, oh, I'll just wait for, the, wait for the traffic light. We've all sat behind that guy and the light's green and his head's bowed over his right. phone. And that's why, that, that's why the laws are going in the correct direction. But the laws are fighting human nature as well. Right? So the, the, the points are going to get worse, the fines are going to get worse, but the usage is going to carry on going up until there's a solution that gives that driver what they want. And we think we have found it. Just by letting them know, they can choose which messaging types, they can choose for how long, but just by knowing what it is. right? If it is something truly urgent, then they can phone the person, they can pull over, but 99% of what comes through on your phone, you do not need to do anything about between now and the end of, of your drive. So we don't give the ability for the user to reply because it, there have been lots of studies that, that have actually shown that while speech, I mean, text to speech is perfectly safe. It's like mm-hmm. listening t- to, the, to, the, to the car radio sure. or a, a reimagined podcast where actually you're listening to your content now. The moment you try and do voice to text, now your cognitive load is extremely high and the technology is bad. Even if you're in a studio like this, if you dictate to your phone right next to your mouth, it's going to get it 95% right. Mm-hmm. Not, but, but how do you correct the 5% even in a studio environment? Get into the car, now you've got road noise, you've got a 10-year-old Bluetooth microphone in your car, it's going to get it 70% right. So voice to text, unfortunately, is useless, but we do give the driver the ability to send an auto autoresponder that says, hey, I'm driving, or with a single eyes-free tap, they can call call the person that has, has texted them and messaged them if they want to. So we're giving them their messages, we're giving them in a safe and legal fashion, okay, and then reducing this fear of missing out. Because FOMO is just what it is. Yep. The phone pings, I want to know what it is. It's not important. I don't need it. Just like 99% of the time that you check your phone during the day, 
either there's nothing there, you're checking it just out of habit, or what is there could easily have waited until half an hour, even an hour. Who are you selling Ping to? Are you going direct to consumer or are you working through the enterprises that that can benefit the consumer? So our model is to license our patented technology to organizations that have millions of users and and drivers. So a great example of that would be to have the Ping read aloud technology in the Geico app. Okay. People don't really use their insurance app because it doesn't really have much functionality. I can find a find a phone number. But now if the ping functionality was in the Geico app, well, now it would automatically turn on when I get in the car. It would read my my messages while I'm driving. It would send people that are, are messaging me a response saying, hey, I'm driving, brought to you by Geico. Right. 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 Now I've got an engagement with the Geico app for an hour and a half a day at least. So insurance apps is great uh, potential customers of ours, telcos, mm-hmm. Verizon, AT&T. You know, I mean, one would, one would argue that the carriers and the phone manufacturers are the cause of the problem. Okay. Uh, and and w- whilst I applaud AT&T's It Can Wait campaign, it's not working. People are not waiting. Right. Um, so spending millions of dollars on Sign the Pledge it's it's not helping. There are technology. This is you know, Ping is an example of tech that can fix this problem. Carriers are an example. Think about all the sporting and music apps, podcast apps, mm-hmm. Spotify, Pandora, Tidal, Strava, Runkeeper, Map My Run. Every time you turn one of those apps on, chances are you're going running, you're going driving, you're going into a situation where using your phone is either dangerous or illegal. Spotify should say to you, "Do you want to hear your messages?" And then the way I, the way our tech works is it will dim the song. Or if it's a podcast, it will pause it, give you the 15 seconds, whatever length of message you've chosen, and put the music back up again. So now I have a completely seamless experience when I'm driving or when I'm cycling or running or even at the gym. We've all seen that guy doing five reps, checking his phone, doing five reps, checking his phone. This is not the answer. The answer is to give the user what they want in a way that is convenient and safe and most most importantly legal. So, Garen, you first launched in the Android marketplace in early 2016, correct? Yeah, we put a minimal viable product out to the, the Android community in 16. And since then, we've iterated almost 300 versions of the Android platform. And so we use our consumer base for feedback. In order to get to tens and twenties of millions of drivers, our strategy is to do so by putting our technology into the Mercedes app, putting our technology into the Porsche app. You know, these are apps that people are not using. Uh, Most of them have very poor ratings in the Play Store, simply because they don't have any real meaningful functionality. And then uh, about two and a half weeks ago, we became the first Alexa skill to be approved by Amazon. Oh, congratulations. Uh, Thank you. So the Ping Alexa skill will actually be the first time that Alexa users can get their messages through their Alexa device. And so that's important for around the house. Of course, I've got my hands full of pasta. Right. You know, and now I've got a message. But Alexa is moving into the the vehicles as well. There are a number of – Amazon has its own Alexa Auto Echo device. There are a whole bunch of third-party Alexa devices. And then a number of, of the vehicle manufacturers have said that they're going to put Alexa into the, uh, into the vehicle as well. So our goal at Ping is to become the messaging platform for everything smart. 
whether it be a smart car or, or a smart home. It can't be smart if it can't give you your messages. Makes a lot of sense. We think so. So from first launching to today, have there been new tools, technologies, APIs, or other things that have helped push the product development along? Or conversely, have there been changes to some of the tools and technologies you were interfacing with that have made it harder to progress the technology? So we started with Android simply because that was the majority of smartphones in the world Mm -hmm. are Android phones. It's north of 85%. And also the majority of commercial drivers are Android users. And the Android side has been very smooth. And in fact, Google has, has made fantastic improvements to their text to speech engines. We use the yep. engine on the phone itself. The voices aren't ours. So Google's improvements in text to speech have really helped us. It took us a long time. And in fact, December 2018, we became the first Apple app to be approved by by Apple of its type. Mm. So we've we, we've started rolling that out slowly internationally. Uh, we should be out here in the US market end of Q1, early Q2. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, not focused on marketing to the consumer, but if Spotify was going to license our tech, it would, they would have to have it for Android and iPhone. Right. And that was the biggest change in our, in our business was when we invented the iPhone tech, that gave us the ability to now start having serious licensing conversations. And then, of course, when we started the business, there was no Alexa, there was no smart speakers, there was none of that. And so that's really played into our wheelhouse fantastically, uh, is the fact that three years ago, four years ago, no one was talking about voice. Now everybody's speaking about voice. So our timing is is, is just great. Excellent. So what's next for you? Where, where does Ping go from here? The goal of Ping is to get a drive mode onto every single device in the world. So you have airplane mode, you, you should have drive mode. And your, your phone should detect your Bluetooth connection with your car, or it should detect through the, um, the, the accelerometers and so on that you're driving, and it should turn itself into drive mode automatically. This should not be something that the, the user can opt out, but by default, it should go into drive mode and it should read 15 seconds of each message an email that you've you've set up while you while you're driving. If we can get it into into the native operating system, into the virtual assistance, if everybody had drive mode, we think we could significantly impact distracted driving. How do you expect the communications market to continue to evolve in the coming years? I think that we're going to see the migration from SMS and text to, you know, WhatsApp and Telegram and and those kind of internet-based messaging apps. So I, I think you will see that trend continue. I think that email will continue to be the dominant channel, mm-hmm. in certainly in business. We're seeing a lot of uh, intelligence around email. I think you can see a big trend around intelligent handling of, of email. I don't want to call it AI, but I think definitely business rules and, and machine learning about, about passing content and, and making email easier to absorb and respond to. I think there will be more email, but, but handling it will be easier. I know that Bill Gates spoke about the end of spam. I think we are truly reaching a point now where spam is in its final days. 
because of the quality of the spam filter today? The quality of the spam filters, the cooperation between the gateway owners <laughs> like, like the Gmails of the world and, and Microsoft's. And then I think there is definitely a huge trend and an accelerating one around Slack. We've used Slack for a long time, and I cannot say that Slack has had any impact on, on, on my inbox whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Now I've got all this email plus Slack. Right. It's not like it took away right. the email. It was meant to in theory, but it just didn't. So I think you've got a, an ever-expanding plethora of, of messaging and, and communication types. And the good news is that the ability to handle that wide range of messaging will become easier. Excellent. Well, Garen, thank you so much for your insights today. Thank you for having me. I'm Matt Swain, and you've been listening to the Reimagining Communications podcast. If you like this episode and think someone else would too, please share it, leave a review, and don't forget to subscribe. To learn more about Broadridge, our insights, and our innovations, visit broadridge.com or find us on Twitter and LinkedIn. LinkedIn.